preparing for the service today, I, I was uh, praying, and and uh, and uh, there's a cross over in the, what we call the little white church over there, and uh, and I was thinking about Jesus on the cross, and and um, and you know we can picture Jesus and the sacrifice that he made, but but I felt really impressed. Don't remember not to stop there. You know, remember he's alive. The song came to mind that we sang it back in the 80s. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. Sing hallelujah. Like we don't just stop that he died. He was, none of God's supply was depleted when Jesus died. He didn't, he didn't lose his life. He, he rose to life. He, he didn't give up anything um, permanently. God doesn't diminish. He doesn't deplete. And, uh, and, that, and that fits in really well with the message today. We're going to be talking about generosity. Um, and, uh, and we're going to be concluding the letter of Philippians that we've been going through for the last few months. Now, today, I kind of feel like, you know, this is the 4th of July weekend, kind of. I don't know which side you go on. I think you, you kind of figure the one before the 4th, not after. But, uh, but at the 4th of July, you think about, you know, there's fireworks, and at the end of the fireworks, there's a grand finale. This is the, we're into the grand finale of the book of Philippians. And so uh, I hope that, uh, that you have enjoyed this study um, and uh, stay tuned through the, through the end. You know, some people are missing out because of the, the weekend. They're missing out on the grand finale. So I'm glad you guys are here for it. Um, Paul started out this letter with greetings, expressing his thankfulness and his deep love for the Philippians. He said that when he prayed for them, he was filled with joy for them, not just because they were his friends, but because they were his partners in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, there's an old saying that says that a friend in need is a friend indeed. That means that uh, a friend who is with you when you have need, when it's going to cost them something, is a true friend. But those who disappear when you have a, have a need, when it's going to cost them something, those are indeed not a true friend, or at least not a good friend. What a joy it is to know that you're not alone, that you have somebody who has your back, that's going to be with you even when it's going to cost them something. And that's what Paul is experiencing here when he's writing this, this letter. The Philippians got word of where Paul was. They recognized that he was in need, and they went and they gave generously to take care of their beloved friend and teacher who had given his whole life to uh, share the good news so that they could hear it and so that others could hear the good news of salvation and, and they could receive uh, new life through Jesus Christ and receive eternal hope. So throughout this letter, Paul encouraged us to live the same way so that we would live as true friends with each other, standing together in one spirit and one purpose, loving each other. He reminds us to be humble, thinking of his others as better than ourselves. And he pointed to, to Jesus, as we had communion today, he pointed to Jesus and, and his sacrifice he made on the cross, how he came from heaven to earth, and then he endured the cross because of our sins and because, of, um, because we had such a great need that only he could fill. And because he had such great love for us, he came and gave to us, and we're supposed to have the same attitude as Christ. Paul said to have the same attitude that Christ had. As we continued through the letter, he warned the Philippians to protect themselves against false teachers from those who would put their hopes and their good works and their obedience to the old covenant requirements. He encouraged them to put their hope fully in Christ 
and in the cross alone. In Christ, he says, we will be made right from the inside out instead of the outside in. He said, God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. We can't by works atone for our past. And so, so in Christ, we can forget those things that are behind and we can reach forward towards those things that are ahead. And it's in faith in the redemptive power of the cross that we press on in the race that God has called us to run. So the, the Philippians, as we've read, uh, they seem to be running the race pretty well. Uh, and, and Paul ends the letter again by telling them how pleased he is with them and encouraging them to continue to give selflessly and to follow his example of being content and grateful for what the Lord has supplied to them. So today, picking up in Philippians 4, 10 through 20, we're going to read the concluding verses of this letter. It says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content in whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength." Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me, gave me financial help when I first brought the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Don't say this, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you've sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A little history on, uh, on the generosity of the Philippians. So we know that there's three specific times that are mentioned that the Philippians sent gifts to Paul. Uh, once, the first time, shortly after he left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, and they sent somebody 100 miles to bring him gifts. And he says that they actually did that more than once. I don't know how many times that was, uh, but they supported him in Thessalonica. And then later, when he was in Corinth, about 300 miles away, they sent gifts to him again. And then, of course, we have the occasion for this letter, letter in which he was in Rome and they sent uh, Epaphroditus on an 800-mile journey to uh, care for him and give him what he needs. On top of that, uh, we read in Paul's letters that the people from uh, Macedonia, and which includes Philippi, that they raised money to send to the poor who were among the Christians in Jerusalem. They desired to give back to them because they felt a real debt to them because they had received such a spiritual blessing of receiving the good news from the Christians in Jerusalem that they felt that the least they could do in return was help them out financially. The Philippians were very generous people. But before you assume that they were only able to give 
because they came from a wealthy Roman colony. Um, Paul actually tells a different story in, uh, in 2 Corinthians where he says that even as they were giving, they were experiencing trouble and that they um, were actually very poor. But he said it, they were filled with abundant joy and because of that, they overflowed richly in generosity. Like I said, generosity is the main topic to today, um, for today, so we'll be taking a second offering as you leave. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, this message was not planned to increase uh, our offerings, but it's the next part in the letter that we're reading. Um, but it's also a very important Christian principle. Uh, it's meant to bless not just the giver, but it's meant to bless the receiver. The one giving, the one showing generosity, is going to be blessed. Jesus said, it is better, uh, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So that means that there's a guaranteed return on your investment. There's a guaranteed return on your investment. It's better to give than to receive. Now, I'm not saying that if you give a dollar that you're going to get $10 back. Um, I am saying that if we display trust in God with our generosity, that we will reap blessings of joy and treasures in heaven. And in the context of the verse today where he's talking to a group of people who are very generous, Paul says that the same God that's meeting Paul's needs will also supply all of the needs, all of, all of the Philippians' needs from, uh, from his glorious riches, which have been given through Christ Jesus. So the context of this promise is important. He's not just saying that, that he's going to give everybody all that they need. He's, he's specifically talking to people who are being generous, that he's going to supply the needs of those who have been generous in giving what they've been entrusted with. And we think back to some of the parables, you know, where we talk about the talents and how those who did something with it received more. It's a, it's a kingdom principle. It might surprise you, but the Bible talks about giving uh, and about money a lot. Uh, to help illustrate that, here's a little comparison. In the Bible, you find the word believe 272 times. You find the word pray 371 times. The word love 714 times. And the word give is used 2,162 times. More than 2,300 verses are on money, wealth, and possessions. Jesus spoke about money in roughly 15% of his preaching. And 11 out of 39 of his parables were about money. Money is a tool that can be used to meet our needs and to meet our desires. It's not good and it's not bad. But if we approach money with greed instead of gratitude, it can become a god instead of a gift. If we approach money with greed instead of gratitude, it can become a God rather than a gift. One way that God has given to us to help prevent the weeds of greed from growing in our lives is to practice generosity, to learn how to hold loosely to what God has given us and, and, and having our trust in God instead of in our money. Matthew six nineteen through 20 says uh, in one of, Jesus' teachings, he talked about storing up treasures in heaven. It says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them 
and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Now, I feel like many times when we read this verse, we can get a little bit too stuck on the first part where it says, do not store up treasures here on earth. You know, we're trying to combat our natural desires to go after more and more stuff. But the active part of this verse is that God wants us to store up treasure. He wants us to store up treasure. He just has a specific plan of what that looks like. You see, God is the ultimate investment planner. He, d- he doesn't make any guesses. He doesn't make any market speculations trying to figure out which investment has the least risk and the most gain. He already knows the outcome because the return is covered by his unlimited supply. This is a risk-free investment. Now, even though that the return is guaranteed, that doesn't mean that there's not an investment today, though. There's, there's still a cost. You still have to make an investment. When we give of the resources that he has blessed us with and that he's made us stewards of, when we give those things for the expansion of the kingdom, we give them for the equipping of believers, and we give them to show love by helping those in need, we're making a sound financial investment. Uh, we cannot lose because our future inheritance is secured by God. You know, we, we, we like to, the banks are, you know, secured by the government, Right. But the government does, does not offer the same security that God does. We can truly trust that our investments in God are secure. If you remember back uh, in our study of First Peter, Peter wrote, um, he wrote, Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, uh, verses 6, 17 through 19, he said, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others by doing this by doing this this they by doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Who wants to experience true life? Life that's sustained by an all-sufficient God. One who, we just read, richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. True life. Well, if that's you, it says that it comes from being rich in good works and generous. Being rich in good works and generous. I'm reminded of the story, the Christmas carol. And of course, the the first picture I get in my mind is, is the Mickey Mouse and Scrooge McDuck one. But um, whatever, whatever version pops into your head, and that's the one I grew up with. Some of you may have grown up with, with other uh, versions of it. But um, regardless of the version, Scrooge did not have true life when he was hoarding all of his wealth. It wasn't until he started giving it away that he was able to experience 
true life, where he was able to find joy, where he was able to find contentment. He had to stop hoarding it and release it. Someone once put it like this, that money is like manure. When you pile it up, it stinks, but when you spread it around, it makes things grow. When you pile it up, it stinks, but when you spread it around, it makes things grow. You, uh, have you experienced the joy of watching something that you have planted grow? I know over the last uh, week we got some rain and that the, the crops desperately needed, and I think they still need quite a bit more, but, but after that rain, you kind of watched everything kind of jump up a little bit in their growth. Um, as I look around my yard where we live, when we first moved in, it was just a field. There was nothing in it. Now we have trees that are big enough for our kids to climb. And, and it just amazes me to see how the things that I, I spent time doing, invested in, have grown. And it's just fun to see things grow that, you've, that, you, that you like, that you, that you have a, a desire for. Um, Our money can be used to fertilize, if you will, uh, life in others. It can be used like the Philippians' latest gift of support to Paul to help those uh, who labor in teaching and supporting those who spread the good news. It can also be used to show God's love to those who are in need so that their hearts might be softened so that they can hear the voice of God calling them to come to him and receive eternal life. So what are you fertilizing? What is, what is it that you are using your resources on, spreading out so that it will grow? We're going to dig into to that a little bit as we uh, look more at the text that we have for today. I have uh, three, three thoughts that jumped out to me as, as I went through them. Uh, the first is that the Philippians were friends indeed. Looking at uh, Philippians 4, 15 through 17 again. The Philippians were friends indeed. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you, but rather I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. They were a friend indeed. Paul, as he begins his final words in this letter, he expresses his gratefulness not just for the gift, but because it was an expression of their concern for him. It was an expression of their concern for him. It was a way that they showed their affection. Last week, we talked about fixing our thoughts on what is good. You fix your thoughts on what is good until they become your beliefs, and you um, meditate on our beliefs until they move from our heads down into our hearts, and they become our convictions, and they become our affections. How can we do a self-check on what things that we've fixed our thoughts on and we've had implanted in our hearts and have become our convictions and affections? Uh, those things that are, are going to determine the course of our life, how can we check to see what we've instilled in there? Well, Matthew 6.21 says, very familiar verse, wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will be also. How we spend our money is a great indicator of where our affections lie. And Paul, receiving their generous gift, can feel their affections for him. 
They had Paul and they had the work that he was doing, sharing the gospel, spreading it to the unreached portions of the earth. Um, They had that passion, that affection instilled in their hearts and they prioritized it and you could tell by the way they used their money. You could tell that they had an affection for it. They were sacrificing for it. Even though they had little, they gave generously. The Philippians were a friend indeed. And Paul used them as an example. When you, when you read in other uh, books, Paul referenced the Philippians as an example of how to live, and we have them as an example for us today. The second thought out of this section is generosity is a form of worship. If we look at verse 18, it says, At the moment I have all I need and more, I am generously supplied with your gifts you sent with me, with uh, the gifts you sent with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Their gifts were a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. It's second on the list, but first in importance is that generosity is pleasing to God. It is our response to God's love that we would love Him in return and that our affection for God would be displayed when we place what pleases Him above our own desires and sometimes maybe even giving above what seems logical or, or outside of our, our own common sense reasoning. Uh, how many of you have experienced times where it was easy to spend money when you are madly in love with someone and you want to make them happy? Have you experienced that? Um, maybe when you, uh, you grandparents, maybe around Christmas time or birthdays, you find it easy, maybe too easy sometimes to spend on your grandkids. Uh, when you think back at the when you first started dating and you were crazy in love with with the girl and you maybe not were not were sorry sorry not were I am <laughs> just it's a time frame okay but there's a time in life when we when we were <laughs> got myself in trouble there all right uh, there's a time in in when we were dating when we were a little bit more. <laughs> It's just the truth. We're, we, we, we were a little bit more free with our giving, even if it maybe left our wallet a little bit on the light side, um, maybe even too light sometimes because we wanted to make that girl that we were madly, still are madly in love with, happy. <laughs> I'm going to have to. <laughs> I mean, I'm eager to. Uh, I lost my spot here. (laughs) Uh, Our willingness to give to what pleases God is a display of our intense love for him. Our willingness to give to the things that God loves, the things that would make him smile, is um, a display of our intense love for him. There's a familiar verse on giving that says, God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerful could also be translated as hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Someone that because of their trust in God combined with their passion for him, um, their, their passion to please him 
are willing to give without reservation. They're like the Philippians who were eager and cheerfully giving to the believers in need in Jerusalem. Even though they had lack, they were eager to do it because they loved God and they wanted to please him and they had placed their trust in him and so they were able to hold loosely to what they had. Just to be clear, I'm not all the way there yet. Uh, I'm not just preaching. I'm, I'm taking this in too. Uh, there is some money that Tanya and I have determined that we're going to give to this church or give to, to other ministries. Um, but there's things that pop up outside of that, that that I don't have planned. And sometimes I'm a willing giver, but not always. Many times I'm happy to give, but there's sometimes I'm a little bit reluctant because I don't know which bucket that money is going to come from. And I'm, I'm focused a little bit more on the money than I am the provider. I'm focused too much on the gift than the one who has supplied the gift and promises to supply all of my needs. So I'm working on that. I'm fixing my thoughts on it, and I'm asking God to help me to be a hilarious giver so that I can, so that my life will be a reflection of my intense love for him and for my desire to see his love spread out to other people. So if I have a thought that pops in my head about what bucket the money is going to come out of, or if I'm thinking about my ties and seeing somebody else who just got a new car and thinking, man, if I didn't tie, I could have a new car too. Or thinking, man, if I give to that missionary, maybe I won't be able to go on that vacation that I want to go on. When those thoughts come up, we have to say, am I going to fix my mind on those thoughts? And are those going to be the things that I instill in my heart that determine the direction and the course of my life? Or am I going to fix my thoughts on God and what pleases him and things that have eternal reward that is secure? Vacations can get rained out and it can end up miserable. Um, you know, we, we can get a new car and crash it the next week. You know, if we invest in God, our future inheritance is secure and, it, and it's a demonstration of what we truly value and how much we love him. I'm going to ask the, uh, the worship team to make their way up. The third thought that popped out to me was God is a friend indeed. God is a friend indeed. When we look at Philippians 19 through 20, it says, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. Paul recognized that in the end, whether his needs were met by his own labors, because sometimes he labored to support himself, but whether his needs were met by his own labors or whether they were met by the gifts from his beloved partners in sharing the gospel, the source was God. The true source was God. God had provided him with the strength and the skill to be able to labor. It was God who moved in the hearts of the Philippians and those who supported him to give to him sacrificially to aid him. Uh, it was because he recognized God is the ultimate supplier. He's the one at, the, at the, the beginning of the assembly line. He's the one who supplies his needs. It's because of that that he was able to be content whether he had almost nothing or whether he had much because he knew if the almost nothing ran out, God was going to supply his needs. So for him, 
in this instance, being the, the recipient of the gift, he said at the end there, he said, now all glory to God our Father. All glory to God for the gifts that we've received. And then Paul, as he's talking to the Philippians who were the, the givers instead of the receivers, so on the receiving side, all glory to God. On the giving side, Paul encourages the Philippians as givers to trust that even if their giving left them in short supply, that God's supply was not diminished at all and that they could count on the fact that God is a friend indeed. God is a friend indeed. He's going to care for them. When the time of need comes, his supply has not ran out. One last thought before we move into the closing of this, this letter. Um, I had mentioned earlier about being a cheerful giver and how our spending can help us identify our affections. Now, we don't have time today. Sometimes when we talk about giving, people uh, have in their head, you know, like, well, is, am I going to get some specific instructions on, on how exactly I, I should tithe or give offerings or what that looks like? We don't have time to, today to look into all the Old Testament and New Testament verses and figure out what transfers from the Old Testament into today. Um, but I think that 2 Corinthians 9-7 is the key starting point. 2 Corinthians 9-7 says, You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly, it's the one, one side, or in response to pressure, that's the other side. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Don't give reluctantly and don't do it just because of pressure. Again, um, it says you, need, you must each decide in your own heart. Decide in your heart. So fix your thoughts on what is a good. Allow those things to become your beliefs. Pray and meditate about those beliefs until they become your affections and your convictions till the Holy Spirit deposits those things in your heart that that you are going to respond to, that are going to be evident by the way that you spend your money. That's a way to check to see where your affections are. We think about how God wants us to use what he's given us. Pray about it. Meditate on it. See what God puts in your heart. He desires for us to live generously, first to bring glory to God, but he also does it because he wants the giver to receive a blessing. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have true life. God doesn't want you to give legalistically. He doesn't want you to give out of pressure, but cheerfully, even hysterically, because you love him that much and you want to please him and because you trust him. So in conclusion to this chapter, uh, I have to say I, I've just loved digging into this book of Philippians. I feel like I know the Philippians better. Um, it's, just been, it's just been fun. I kind of wish there was a part two, you know, that we could find out uh, whether or not Epaphroditus made it back all right, whether or not Timothy uh, was able to go soon after that. Um, we, we'd like to hear whether or not uh, Paul's words from God that he gave to the Philippians, how it encouraged them, whether or not Yodia and Syntyche, who were having a conflict, whether or not they were able to get that resolved. Uh, but we're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to hear those amazing stories of heroism and sacrifice and generosity of those who were placed 
in that place, in that time, to give glory to God with what they had as an expression of their love for him. Paul and the Philippians teamed up to build the church in the early years, in that place, in that time. But God has placed us here in this place and in this time. So what amazing stories does God want to use us in? What, what works does he want to accomplish through our generosity? How, um, who does he want us to team up with so that the kingdom of God will advance here in our time? Our sacrificial offerings, as Paul describes them, are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Dear Lord, we just thank you. Um, we gather weekly and we, we take up offerings uh, and we, we give back to you what you've given to us, Lord. Uh, whether or not we're giving hilariously or not, <laughs> I, I don't know if, 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 if I'm there yet, Lord, but uh, we just pray that by your Spirit you would teach us, Lord, um, to live according to your kingdom principles, Lord, that we would live in trust with you, Lord, that we would, that we would get so close and so passionately in love with you that we give without even thinking about whether or not that bucket's getting empty because we know that it's your desire, that it's your passion for us to give, Lord. And we know that you're there for us, that you care for us, that you're the supplier and that you're going to meet our needs, Lord God. You have, you have it under control. We don't have to stress and worry about it. Lord, help us to be good stewards of what you've given us, Lord, that we would invest well, that we would store up treasures in heaven, Lord, that we would uh, see the needs in those around us and that we can help in, Lord, and that we would use those opportunities not just to meet the financial need, Lord, but that we would find ways to express that, that this gift didn't originate from us, but it originated from you, Lord, that you're the one who gave to us that, so that we can give to others. You're the one who gave us a soft heart to be willing to give to others, Lord. The gift is your provision, and the gift is your, your, your conviction, is your passion, it's your desire that we've placed your desire in our hearts, and we're just expressing that through our lives, Lord. Pray that in Jesus' name. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven operates on kingdom principles. In the gospel of Luke, in uh, chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus gives us a glimpse of some of those, of those principles. He says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. In God's kingdom, uh, he who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. If you want to find true life, you have to be willing to give it up for Christ. If you want to receive forgiveness, you have to be willing to give forgiveness. With the measure you judge, you're going to be judged. If you want to receive mercy, give mercy. Jesus says the same is true with money. In Luke 6.38, he says, Give and you will receive. 
Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. It is better to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. Peter closes this letter, final verses of Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 21 through 23. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all of the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Go, greet God's holy people here at Bible Center Church, all who belong to Christ Jesus, and God bless America. Amen.